For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about how to recognize God's radiant glory and His manifest presence in everyday life. If you are seeking to live a presence-centered life at home, work, and church, and enjoy a deeper biblical fullness of the Holy Spirit, then you have come to the right place. Our guest, Dr. Roger Helland, will help us sort through common fears and misunderstandings about God's presence and help us recognize his transformative power everywhere, all the time, by actively seeking him every day. Dr. Roger Helland is the prayer ambassador for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and previously served as a pastor and district minister of the Baptist General Conference in Alberta. He is the author of seven books. He has over 35 years of experience as a pastor, denominational leader, adjunct professor at several theological schools and Renewal Catalyst. He lives with his wife, Gail, near Calgary. Please welcome Roger. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be a part of your podcast and your viewing and listening audience out there. So Wonderful. Well, you know, this is, this topic for the hardcore Christian is one that so many people desire so deeply yet can feel elusive to obtain. And so why don't we just start out by you telling us about your conversion experience and how the Holy Spirit first saturated you with God's presence. I grew up in Southern California, so I'm an American and I'm a Canadian citizen, so I have dual citizenship. And, uh, but grew up in Southern California, uh, about 20 miles east of Los Angeles in a community called Glendora. It's near Azusa and Pomona, <clears throat> San Gabriel Valley. And uh grew up in a non-Christian family, basically. Never read the Bible, never went to church, didn't pray. Jesus Christ was actually a swear word in our family. Yeah. And so I lived a pretty dark uh, life. In, in so many different ways uh, growing up in California and uh, during the whole sort of hippie movements. So sort of the Jesus Revolution movie is sort of a snapshot of the era that I grew up in in Southern California and the beaches and and lifestyle <clears throat> of drugs and immorality and, and just, you know, dark life. So I grew up as a pagan, basically. People ask me, what's my background? I say my background's pagan literally, and uh, walked in darkness. So I was actually saved on the fringes of the Jesus movement back then. I actually was in the U.S. Army at the time, and I was home on Christmas leave. But during that time that I was away, a a friend of mine that I went to high school with, and we used to deal drugs and such together, uh, he became a Christian. 
they called them Jesus freaks back then. And I remember Josh McDowell saying, Jesus doesn't make freaks out of people. He makes freak people out of freaks. And there were, there was a change in, in Danny's life that was remarkable and very, very visible, very attractive to me. So I knew there was something special that was happening in his life. But at the same time, I was still walking in my darkness. And uh, I was actually stoned on LSD. I was peeking on LSD. We had gathered together on a Friday night. We went up to the location where we often went as students and partied in Clendora Mountain Road, overlooking the city where we grew up down below. And uh, I was peeking on acid. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And he started telling me about Jesus. (laughs) It was an encounter with the presence of the Lord, which I look back on being a decisive encounter with the manifest presence of the Lord, which was so strong that I felt this gravitational pull on my heart. He pierced my darkness. And I, so I basically launched my first prayer that I'd ever prayed. It was simply this, Jesus, if you're real, I want to believe. And that was it. And a couple of weeks later, I, I was finished on my leave at Christmas there in early January. I'll never forget it. I was at Fort Lewis, Washington. It was a freezing cold morning, blue sky outside. I was alone in the barracks. And I was reading this Bible that my uh, stepdad had given me, <clears throat> King James Version Bible, that I think I was reading through the Gospel of John. And as I, as I was reading, I felt this inrush of joy and light and an encounter of the presence of God, which I look back on now knowing that was really my personal Pentecost where the spirit saturated me, filled me. And I knew in that encounter, there was a change in my life and it was divine. It was sovereign. I wasn't seeking God. He sought me out and plucked me from my darkness and then set me on a trajectory to where I document in my book, I call it from pagan to pastor or to prayer to presence and how sort of the narrative of my journey uh, being led by the Lord over the years and finding my way to Canada to study at a Bible college and then down in Dallas, Texas to go to seminary and then back to Canada to pastor and then teach in Bible college and then become a district minister. And then the place where I am today uh, serving as a prayer ambassador. So it, it's been a narrative that started early on, Uh, at the fringes of the Jesus movement. And uh, here I am today proclaiming the glory of God Mm. and seeking his presence. Uh, That's such a miraculous God story. And it, I feel like I'm almost there after seeing the Jesus revolution movie and I can kind of picture it all in my mind. It's amazing. Your story. Wow. Well, you know, there's probably people listening to this podcast that come from a variety of theological backgrounds. And in the book, you said something that I thought was so interesting. You said, charismatics embrace a robust spirit theology, conservatives embrace a rich scripture theology, and empowered evangelicals embrace both. So can you help us understand what that means and how it it led you to pursue God's presence? So over the years, I've had the privilege and the honor of serving in, in a variety of different theological traditions. And I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. So Dallas, you know, it's a pretty 
well-known sure. uh, large seminary in Texas that is known really for expository preaching and exegesis and, you know, having a full range of really a biblical foundation. But I, I wouldn't see Dallas as a place that you would point to as a place where sort of the spirit is emphasized. You know, there's other schools and other traditions that would emphasize that. And yet, there was a foundation that was set in my heart to this day that I believe that scripture is absolutely fundamentally essential for spiritual life and for guidance in what it means to pursue the presence of God. However, it's not scripture alone. We have the spirit that indwells us and empowers us that gifts us that, you know, really opens up the supernatural and, and, and which scripture points to over and over again. And so I believe firmly in a you know marriage as it were of scripture and spirit and so i know you know the charismatics i've got lots of charismatic and pentecostal friends and the, the tendency in their tradition is to showcase the spirit rightfully so and the evangelical sort of the broad evangelical stream conservative stream tends to really emphasize scripture and bible and doctrine and objective truth that's good that's what we want. We don't want to just throw all caution to the wind and become existential, subjective people that don't aren't grounded in, in scripture. And so I, you know, in my encounter with the Lord through the vineyard, through Christian Missionary Alliance, through the Mennonite Brethren, through the Baptist traditions, I have found a lot of uh you know places of common agreement. And so we can call that an empowered evangelical, I believe, in an evangelical faith, not the political kind, but the kind that affirms the gospel, affirms conversion by faith in Jesus Christ alone, uh, salvation by grace, that we have an eternal destiny that's founded upon the finished work of Christ yes. on the cross, and that we proclaim the gospel, that people come to faith and enter the kingdom. So from that point of view, I think we all hunger for an empowered presence of God in our life that's grounded scripturally, but empowered spiritually by the spirit. We don't have to become a charismatic. We don't have to sort of huddle in a conservative camp and be afraid of the things of the spirit, because when we encounter the spirit or the spirit encounters us and we see that in scripture, I think we're on safe ground to really pursue the presence of God in a way that's biblically grounded and theologically uh, governed. Yes. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Oh. 
And I love, like, I highlighted that because it was something that just really resonated with me. And it did, um, I want to say, create some excitement because coming from more of a conservative side, I've always wanted to know more and and understand more of pursuing God's presence through the spirit. So tell us like in your book, you talk about the difference between the temporary filling and the long-term fullness of the spirit in the believer. So tell us what that means. Yeah, I think it's important to step back also and to sort of frame this notion of, of pursuing the presence of God. So we know scripturally that as believers, we are the temples of the spirit. So we have the indwelling presence of the spirit in our lives. Okay. That is essential. That is foundational to our faith. It's a consequence of justification. So we have the sanctifying, empowering, gifting presence of the spirit that's always present. But then there's those times of manifestation where the gifts and the power and the presence of God is, is more tangible or more visible. And so theologians would call this sort of the omnipresence of God, where God is present everywhere always, and he abides in his people, the omnipresence of God. It's like the air that we breathe. It's there, it's always present. And if we lack air, if our lungs aren't working properly, we become a lot more aware, and it becomes more acute that we need air. Uh, so that refers to the manifest presence of God in the sense that we become more intentional. We seek his presence. We seek his face and we seek to experience the or encounter the presence of God in a way that is is tangible. It, it's spiritual. It's, it can be physical at times. It can be emotional. Not that we're looking for physical or emotional manifestation, but th sometimes the, the outcomes of our encounters uh, become present, right? So mm -hmm. when you talk about the filling and the fullness of the spirit, that begins to now zero in on recorded accounts of different people in the Bible who have actually had visible, authentic, authorized demonstrations of the work of God in their life. So example, Jesus, we'll just start with Jesus. He was filled by the spirit but he was also full of the spirit. There are times of encounter where we're told in the book of Luke, particularly who showcases you know, the Greek word tends to be plerimi. And uh, it refers to that instantaneous empowerment that happens in the moment. It's the same way that's used in, in Acts chapter two, where the spirit comes upon those believers in the upper room and they were filled in the moment. And there was a demonstration of fire and there was tongues and there was power and mm -hmm. the manifest presence of God was displayed. And we saw, see that also in other places where they were praying at a prayer gathering after uh, James and John were being assaulted by the, you know, the Sanhedrin. And then they were arrested and then they went and saw their friends. And it says that they prayed and they began to appeal to scripture and they were filled by the spirit in the moment. And the house shook and the place they were staying and they were also proclaiming the word of God boldly. So that's a manifestation of the presence of God that can happen instantaneously in the moment. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it stays. It's sort of this unction or an anointing. But there's another word that Luke also uses. It's, it's the word uh, where we 
would translate being full of the spirit, the, the pleroma of the spirit. And that's where there's an abiding characteristic that Peter and Stephen and Barnabas are referred to as leaders who were full of the spirit and of faith. It says of Jesus that he was also full of the spirit, that he ministered in the power of the spirit in Galilee. A different word, and it refers to more of an abiding presence where the characteristic of their life is is spirit-filled. And it's 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 a characteristic, a permeating influence in their life that's where they are full of the spirit, but then there are times where we can be filled with the spirit. And I'd say we need to seek both as we yeah. pursue the presence of God. Mm. That's that's so powerful. And I I I want to encourage those that are listening that if you pick up Roger's book, you have so many wonderful scripture citations in there uh, and examples of this that you can read for yourself. But I think it will really lend so much insight into this um, filling of the Holy Spirit and having a fullness of the Spirit. Well, Roger, one of the most important things that you talk about in the book is prayer and how it relates to being able to be in God's presence. So tell us what, what role should prayer take in the life of, of a believer? And then maybe you could also tell us a little bit about how it fits into the life of a church. Right. Prayer is a big topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot that we could say. And let me, let me try to sort of zero in on some of the key elements that you've identified. A lot of people don't realize that the Bible contains about 600 prayers apart from the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms itself is sort of a collection of different types of prayers, about 150. But then there's recorded prayers throughout scripture. And I remember reading Timothy Keller, who just passed away not long ago, and he wrote that everywhere that God is, prayer is. And that sort of opened up a new dimension of appreciation and awareness for me to realize Mm -hmm. that prayer has been given by God as one of the primary gifts for us to be able to communicate with him and him with us, but also to cultivate communion. So I define prayer as both communication and communion with God. It's not merely a list of needs that we have that we sort of, you know, phone up God and and send him our message and hang up when we're done talking. (laughs) We do more of the talking. But prayer really, even in the life of Jesus, we see is an intentional way in which we as visible, finite people communicate with an invisible, infinite God. And it requires faith, it requires diligence, it requires intentionality to cultivate that. But it's a relationship based around love and grace and God's goodness that prayer really, when Jesus says that my house should be a house of prayer for all nations, that's a really startling statement that most of us are familiar with. But if we unpack it a little bit, and it really refers to our personal encounter with God, as being primarily through prayer. 
but it also is a is a opening in terms of how churches and the corporate gathering of God's people can really access his presence. And it's really through prayer because the temple is really the the abiding place of God. So in the Old Testament, you, you have the temple precinct in Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus is, you know, pointing to at the time when he makes that statement. And so it's the physical physical sort of place of God's presence that was where he was manifest in his glory. But we know now that in the New Testament, after Jesus and the ascension and then the sending of the spirit, the, the church is the temple of the living God. And so we need to be walking, talking houses of prayer. And prayer is really the primary vehicle by which when it's scripture formed and spirit inspired. So we want scripture formed, spirit inspired prayer that works together to really develop this awareness, but also activation of entering and seeking the presence of God. And so when we talk about pursuing God's presence, that's a scriptural invitation. I base the book in three categories around seeking, experiencing, hosting God's presence. But the primary verse that really sets the tone is found in Psalm 105 verse 4, where the psalmist says to seek the Lord and his strength seek his presence continually mm -hmm. um that's a prayer but it's in an invitation as we sort of arrange our lives around seeking the face of god in fact the word there pane means face to seek god's face not just his hand and just send up our prayers you know before and after meetings and you know at dinner time or whatever but it's really a lifestyle of a commitment to connect with God in a way that really invites and be helps us become more aware of his presence and experience his presence. We have different writers that I quote who really point to the notion that the spiritual life is really the life of prayer and the life of seeking God's presence really is a life of cultivating private and public prayer. Mm as an ongoing priority. Yes, oh, absolutely. And one of the things in your prayer section that you also talked about, which I thought was so interesting, was that it's the waiting also, right? It's it's this communication with God and then the waiting to find out how God's going to answer. How would you... Um, describe that part of the process prayer is one of the hardest disciplines in the spiritual life to cultivate because i think it isn't an a plus b equals c it's a, not a formula where we get necessarily immediate results mm -hmm. every time we pray and so it really is an act of faith whereby we believe that God hears, God answers in his way, according to his will, and in his timing. Uh, one of the quotes that I mention is from a theologian, Howard Snyder, and he says that prayer is difficult because we are dealing with unseen forces and sometimes unseen results or results that don't appear till much later. Mm -hmm. So 
the posture of prayer is really a commitment of surrender and faith and belief in a God who hears. And we see throughout scripture what was required of the people of God to seek the Lord, to wait on him, and not to take matters in our own hands. I'm, I'm a fairly task-oriented person, as many of your listeners likely are out there, especially as leaders. We want to get things done. We want results now. And it's harder for some of us to wait on the Lord and not, as it were, sort of rely on human agency to get our work done. And it requires attentiveness in terms of the whole structure of, of waiting on the Lord and trusting him to respond in the way that he sees fit as being the best. Uh, another writer says this, that neglect of prayer both reinforces and reflects inattention to God. So it's a circle. Yeah. When we are busy and preoccupied, and many of us are parents of young children or grandchildren, we have busy jobs. You know, sometimes we're working multiple jobs and we're traveling out of town and we've got a lot of social media and we've got a lot of activities, commitments and deadlines and agendas. Our life can be crowded out in terms of the spiritual sensitivity to the Lord. And so prayer, first and foremost, has to be a priority of a faith commitment whereby we set our agenda, set the tone of our life daily. And I'm up in the morning, you know, I pray, I read scripture, I journal, and, you know, a lot of your readers and viewers would be doing the same. And But not just rely upon, you know, the devotional time or you know, the time at church or Bible study or prayer or whatever, but it's really a lifestyle communion with God at work, standing in line at the grocery store, driving in our car down a busy highway, walking down the street, whatever it is that in our workaday world, in our life and in our leadership, we are communicating, talking with God. But then when we gather as a corporate group of people as the church, we are a praying people not just a preaching people and a talking and a teaching people, but we are a praying people who seek the face of God. And I believe that when we sort of reset our priorities to prayerfulness and we see the results that require waiting and patience and persistence and going the distance, a long obedience in the same direction, we will see the fruit of our labor through yeah. prayer. We will. Yeah, Absolutely. When you mentioned in the book that this really helped me, you mentioned like when you're thinking thoughts through your day about, um, oh, I have to do this task again, or, and then taking those thoughts that you're normally thinking anyway and turn them around in communication with God. And I, I found that so helpful. Would you say that that also um, helps us sense the promptings of the spirit more as well um, when we're in this continual prayer communication with God all throughout our day. Oh, absolutely. One of the, I think, 
challenges we all face is we, we all hold conversations with ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk to ourselves. We have mind, you know, we have mind, mind, mindless conversations, you know, where we're, we're having conversations with ourselves, and we, we can take, you know, different viewpoints. We could say, man, I feel so tired today. You know, I'm overcommitted and I, I need, I need to not, you know, work so many hours and I need to take more time off. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm depressed and, and I'm not eating properly. I get the physical uh, exercise that I need. And I just feel like I'm a loser, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we, we can talk to ourselves and sort of drive ourselves into the, these spaces of this conversation in our mind. But what would happen if whenever we begin to talk to ourselves in our own thinking, we actually turn it into a conversation with God. We talk to God. God, I feel depressed today. God, I feel discouraged. God, I feel overcommitted. Can you help me sort of rearrange my schedule? Can you help me pause and just rest? And would you carry my burden and show me the way and give me wisdom, Lord, right? It's just it's just an adjustment, but I think it, it can revolutionize how we pray and i talk about different postures of prayer you know we can walk we can lay prostrate we can raise our hands we can be in quiet we can talk out loud we can be quiet we can use scripture we can use different structured prayers pre you know written prayers we can have prayers of quiet we can um you know jump around we can climb we can sit we can kneel we can you know, look up to heaven, we can bow down, we can have our eyes open. I mean, just using a different variety of physical mechanisms to help, again, stimulate that opportunity we have for engaging our bodies and our minds through the context of communicating with God and Him with us. And there are times where He'll pop ideas in our head. We've all had ideas where we're going like, I don't know where that came from. Or we say something, or we're preaching, or teaching, or we're singing, or we're you know, leading a discussion or interact with somebody and we say or make a comment or an idea pops in our head and we kind of submit it and it just kind of goes, woof. And it's like a surprise or it's like this word of wisdom or this insight or this revelation or this, you know, unplanned, spontaneous intervention that we kind of, sometimes we're not aware that's actually the Lord speaking in and through us. But if we're not attentive to that we can sort of miss that so that's part of i think the structure of how prayer can be this outstanding adventure of paying attention to god yes and responding yes that's so exciting and encouraging all in the same vein well one of the things that you know for those of us that have done bible studies and we've learned a lot about the holiness of God. And, and sometimes that could lead to a fear or um, of the proximity to his presence. Tell us what it, what does it mean to consider holiness as proximity to God's presence and, and how should we as a believer pursue this? Yeah, so I, I could write a whole book on this, but I've, I've tried to devote a chapter and sort of capture the dimension that is supremely important when we consider pursuing the presence of God. 
a corresponding pursuit is that we will pursue his holiness because God is holy. If we're going to pursue God, he's holy. So we come into his presence. We come into a holy presence. In Hebrews 12, 14, we are told, we are commanded to pursue peace with all people and holiness. I find that very intriguing. I develop a little bit of putting, it's one verb, pursue. So we're pursuing two things simultaneously and they go together. But it says, pursue peace with all people. It's a present tense, which means it's an ongoing practice that is a regular part of what we're about. We pursue peace with people, not hostility, not division, not, you know, discrepancy and, 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 and challenge, but we pursue peace. But we also pursue holiness simultaneously. And then it says, without which no one will see God. Hmm. So one of the statements I make in my chapter on presence-centered holiness refers to that purity enhances perception. The Bible is really clear. The pure in heart shall see God. We're not going to physically see him with our eyes. There, there's, there's revelation. There's awareness. There's illumination. There's that conscious knowing that God is there and that he is, that he exists and that he rewards us who diligently seek him. So purity through holiness is really a captivating pursuit that guarantees healing. It guarantees wholeness. It guarantees our character being shaped into the character of Christ. So really, when we pursue God, we pursue holiness. And holiness isn't just a set of rules and regulations and vows and these and thou shalt nots and, and commandments and, and which some of the holiness traditions have resorted to in terms of trying to enforce, you know, ethical, moral behavior. And yet we all have to parent our kids and we have to teach them what it means to be a holy person. And how do we bring the presence of God into the environment of our homes and our families, our parenting? How do we bring holiness into how we treat other people at work? And if, if we're a boss or an owner of a business, how do we treat our employees and our customers and our, you know, our suppliers and such? How do we relate to our spouse? How do we relate to just people that, you know, uh, come across our path? So, Wesley, John Wesley, really emphasized holiness as social holiness, but personal holiness. That social holiness is the character of God that's mediated in how we treat other people. We love God and we love others in a way that embodies the presence of God. And God's presence is packed with holiness, his radiance, his glory. The word kavod, which I talk about in the book and throughout the book, refers to the radiance of the the weight of the presence of God that is so impeccable and so full of beauty and light and love that it, it's captured in holiness. And so holiness is elegant. It's beautiful. It, it's charming. It's, it's full of life and love and, and all that we uh, want in life. And God says, be holy as I am holy. It's an invitation to be like him. 
and God's attractive. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the Asbury University outbreak down in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, that happened in February this year, mm -hmm. if not, go on YouTube and check it out. Go to Asbury University uh, outpouring, and you can watch video or YouTube videos, and you can see reports of how the a visitation of God invaded a chapel service of Gen Z young 20-year-old students at uh, Wesleyan uh, University down in Wilmer, Kentucky, and how the presence of God was the prominent theme that moved in to that chapel and began to mm -hmm. permeate the whole university and the community, and people from all over the world started traveling there. And like a mm -hmm. thousand people came to faith during that time, in those 16 mm -hmm. days of that outbreak. People's lives were transformed from the inside, from depression and anxiety. And, and the prevailing texture of that meeting all had to do around the presence of God. The presence of God was so strong. People would walk by on the outside of the huge auditorium and they could feel this gravitational presence of the Lord. And it wasn't about a personality or a famous speaker, or a good worship team or teaching, whatever. It was pretty yeah. ordinary. It was young people seeking the face of God through prayer, through repentance and through his presence and the main outcome and i love this picture you can see it on the internet of a student who's got both of his hands raised and he's facing the front of the auditorium and, and, and above the stage it says holiness unto the lord and that's mm. exactly that's exactly mm. what we want to see happen and i try to develop in my book uh pursuing god's presence is that we are also pursuing and experiencing his holiness. Mm. Mm. It truly is when you when you think about which we really can't wrap our minds fully around the magnificence of God, but the the fact that he wants us to be a part of it and share that with us fallen as we are and um thankful for what what Jesus has done that allows us to do that and uh, it's just incredible. It really is. If someone's listening here, Dr. Helland, and they haven't, let's say, pursued God's presence before, what what would you say are some of the common fears and misunderstandings and, and how can they um, become more aware and take that path forward? I think some of the common fears and misunderstandings have to do with errors and excesses and unusual things that sometimes are reported on. You know, we can re read revival history and renewal movements and such where the manifest presence of God was so strong. People had very unusual emotional or physical manifestations. I mean, I know of things like the gift of tongues or things like shaking or falling or, you know, being sort of encountered by the spirit in a way where there's laughter and these kinds of things are quite unusual. And I'm not actually advocating that that is what we're seeking, that that those are sometimes what happens in, in certain environments. People use language of God showed up or that, you know, God uh, his presence was thick or the atmosphere was changed. And I know that sometimes the language can not quite capture uh, maybe a, a proper theological framework, 
And so what I encourage is that it's really not about emotion or manifestation or physical sort of consequences. I mean, those things sometimes do happen with people. I mean, with the joy of the Lord's our strength. I mean, there is laughter and joy. There is a sense of a euphoria and a sense of presence that sometimes is so strong and so thick you can hardly walk or you can hardly talk. And I think different ones of you or us have had those kinds of experiences, but those aren't what we're after. We're, we're seeking God's face. And so some of the common fears and misunderstandings can do with sometimes people can get overboard or they're, they're pushing a certain, you know, angle or a certain style or a, a certain structure to kind of generate those outcomes. And I would say that's that's not the way to go. We don't want to define error and excess as the center. When we come into the contact with God, we see in Scripture all kinds of things that happen to people. I just read through the book of Revelation and, you know, it talks about John being carried in the spirit, you know, and, and falling before his face when he encountered a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you can read Ezekiel and Isaiah. You can read things that happen in the New Testament. You know, Paul going to third heaven. I mean, again, I'm not talking about ecstatic experiences as what we're after as much as say those are some of the fears and misunderstandings. And I think the language itself and even theology, well, we have God's presence in us. Why do we seek his presence? Because the Bible says to Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search with me for all your heart. Mm -hmm. And I, I cited Psalm 105 verse four, and we, we seek God's presence. We seek his face. So there's this intentionality that I don't think we need to be afraid of God. I mean, God is supremely good supremely gracious and when we seek him he rewards us we're told in hebrews 11 6 and so common fears and misunderstandings i think some of it's theological some of it's style some of it's structure but i think if we look at scripture bring our experience to the level where scripture is at and bring scripture to the level where we're at and basically endeavor to apply it in our lives and, and pray for the filling, pray for the fullness. Launch out, say, Lord, I want to seek your presence. I want to think of you and pay attention to you and be aware of you and do what I can to hear from you, hear from you and study and reflect and read and 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 by faith we walk that path. Hmm. That that really um reminds me too of in your book um, and again, if you're listening to this in Dr. Helen's book, he also has like other great tips and suggestions, like specific worship songs that you can um, listen to. Or I love that you even gave examples of prayers that you've prayed. I found right. those so encouraging as well. So if you don't have the right words, um, he has some great examples in there as well. Well, as we start to wrap things up, I, I want to ask you about um, God's presence as it relates to church, being in church. How can churches either fail or, or succeed in um, bringing God's presence back at the center? Well, let me read a quote by Richard Owen Roberts, a revivalist who actually influenced Billy Graham. He says this, the sobering truth is that the greatest hindrance 
to the growth of Christianity in today's world is the absence of the manifest presence of God from the church. And I know that's a pretty bold statement and others, A.W. You know, Tozer and different ones would point to how the presence of God seems to be a lacking element across the board. And I guess it depends on how do we define the presence of God and what are the sort of the, the, the fruit of that or how do we, what are the characteristics that we would say God's presence was there and wasn't. So that, that's sort of a different discussion. And I try to sort of highlight that in different parts of the book uh, where people have helped us really identify. I think scripture is really the first place. These kinds of elements will be present wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We know that if you don't have freedom in your church, the presence of God is not there. If it's all bound up and it's got division and disunity and, you know, like a pale existence, you can be assured the presence of God is not there. When there's love and there's joy and there's patience and there's goodness and kindness and there's a sense of exaltation, you know the presence of God is being mediated in the context of your church environment, especially in our public gatherings. We also know that the gifts of the Spirit, uh, particularly in Romans uh, 14 or Romans uh, 12, but also in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, where these writers, Paul really dives into how the gifts of the Spirit really show and demonstrate the presence of God, mm -hmm. whether it's the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching and the gift of miracles or, or healing. And in some cases, the gift of tongues and interpretation and revelation. These are manifestations of the presence of God is there. That's biblical language. It's all there. Just, you know, capture the words and really look at how those kinds of things are being expressed in the life of the church. But more than that, there's a sense of awe, there's a sense of reverence, there's a sense of the holiness of God that captures our hearts. And I think sometimes our churches can be really focused around two things rather than three. The two things are this, sermons and singing. Mm. A lot of our church services put a lot of emphasis on sermons and singing. So we have a worship set, we might have a couple prayers, and then we have a a message or sermon and maybe a closing prayer or a song. But if you really add it all up, you look at a maybe an hour, hour and a half service, my guess is the, the prayer piece will be the least developed in a lot of our church settings. And what that says to me, there's a priority that's put on the preaching and on the, the, the singing. And yet when Jesus says, again, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations, the temple experience of encountering the presence of God is permeated primarily through the context of prayer. Proclamation, singing, worship, liturgy, testimony, and these kinds of things all kind of flow out of that. Mm -hmm. But I believe that a tactical shift we could make in our churches would be to develop and design carefully articulated prayer times with every week where prayer is at the same level as preaching and worship. Mm. We have to cut back on the worship some, cut back on the preaching some, add the prayer in. And I absolutely believe it will revolutionize the life of the church because the focus is on the presence of God, mm. not just on the preaching or on the, the, the program, but actually God's presence, being a presence-centered church, I believe has the potential to revitalize and renew our churches and then into our communities into revival. I spend the last part of the book on, on mission 
you know, present-centered mission and justice, but also then on revival and how renewal and revival are really sort of the culminating aspects of a present-centered life. Hmm. Well, that make makes complete sense <laughs> based on what how you were talking about the the importance of prayer and it's equally yeah, and important. We yeah. seek him, the church. we experience him, but we want to host his presence when people are coming in. Ultimately, we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. We are glory carriers. We carry his presence. And so when we do good deeds and we pray for the sick and we, you know, serve with benevolent love and charity in our society and minister to the poor and to the needy and the outcast, the presence of God gets mediated and draws people into the kingdom. Yes. Well, as we finish up here on talking about this topic, I wanted to see if you could maybe just clarify for people that are listening. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, but we know that God is part, you know, it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. How does Jesus come alive in this, this process um, through scripture um, to help us, uh, I know it's hard to wrap your mind around the whole, the whole Trinity and each of them having roles, but being one, can you help us understand that a little bit better? Yeah. Jesus is the center of the universe. I think scripture is really clear. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 really puts Jesus at the center it was through him, by him, and for him that all things were made. And he is the head of the church, and he permeates all of the universe. The Father has, I guess, one way to put it, has delegated the universe to the Son. They were all part of creation, but Jesus was the the leader, I would suppose, is one way to put it in terms of creating this universe. And the universe is held together by him. So Jesus is the supreme center of scripture. He's the supreme center of the Father's affection. And the Holy Spirit showcases the Son. So we know that the ministry of the Spirit is to bring glory to the Son. And so everything sort of revolves around the Son, as it were. And so the extent to which we are Trinitarian people, we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit, but the Father demonstrates his purposes, his will through the Son and the Spirit empowers and points to the work and will that's carried out through the Son. And so Jesus is really the focal point for, I think, good evangelical theology, Trinitarian, but Christological. I don't know mm-hmm. if that answers it. So. Oh, yeah. No, no, that, that's pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the presence of the Spirit. Yes. We proclaim him and him crucified. Yes. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. The book of Revelation kind of said, I've just read through Revelation again in my devotional life. And I am just like over the top with Jesus as Lord of Lord, mm. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming to establish his kingdom on this mm. earth uh, through the new Jerusalem where God's presence will be with us forever and ever in the new Jerusalem, the city of heaven on earth. Mm. So all you dear people out there, it's about Jesus. (laughs) It's it's all about Jesus. Ultimately, we need to find our way. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, we have barely scratched the surface of all of the different things that are contained in your book, Pursuing God's Presence. Tell us how people can connect with you and get the book. Well, I appreciate that, Ellen. Um, there's a landing page called Pursuing God's Presence Book. Dot com. So Pursuing God's Presence Book.com has a number of people who have endorsed it. By the way, Anne Voskamp, for those of you who are familiar with her, she posted one of my chapters on her blog a couple months ago, which I thought was fairly significant, uh, fairly well-known uh, author and, and speaker. Uh, you, you'll see the sample chapter on her blog uh, listed there as well as another sample chapter, but it also has places where you can also purchase this book. If you're in the U.S., it's Amazon.com in Canada, Amazon.ca, and of course, Barnes and Noble and Chapters and Christian Book would be other book sites as well as Baker Books. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty well available out there. It's also in audio and also on Kindle and in soft covers. So I've had some, Mark Buchanan, who's a well-known uh, author out there, uh, wrote the foreword for me, and he said he believes this book is kind of my magnum opus, and I think he's, he's nailed it. <laughs> I've tried to do what I can to really ground the uh, practices and experiences of pursuing God's presence scripturally, theologically, but personally with narrative and story and the ways mm -hmm. in which... Hopefully it appeals to people. Uh, we got to see God's presence uh, in our homes, in our parenting, in our workplaces. I, I talk about how we can, uh, you know, pursue the presence of God in our workplace, in our churches, and really in our personal lives. So those are the places that would be the go-to places. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we will put all of those links in our show notes so you can easily find those. Before we go, Dr. Helen, I want to ask you some of our favorite Bible study tool questions. People love these tips. So okay. what Bible is your go-to Bible and what translation is it? So my go-to Bible is the uh, ESV. Okay. English Standard Version. Yep. Excellent. Um, I mean, I will read the NIV, the NLT, and the New King James and other translations to supplement it. But my, my go-to Bible for preaching, teaching, and personal study uh, tends to be in the English Standard uh, Version. The uh, second question had to do with journals. Yeah. So have you... Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? So there, there's my journal right there. This is, I use this every day. Uh, I read through scripture right now. I'm reading through the book of Proverbs. So I do like a chapter a day, which is a lot, but I'm working through Proverbs. I worked through the book of Revelation before that, as I said, over the summer. So this uh, journal, actually, it's, 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 got, it's got a zipper. I can take it with me. It's really well done. It's got a scripture verse uh, on the front of it here uh, from Jeremiah 17, 17. And uh, it's purchased through Christian art gifts. Christian oh. art 
gifts. All right. That's, that's a beautiful for, journal. Oh, I yeah, love that. Really you, yeah. I love that you'll have those treasured memories of going through those books and how oh, yeah. God's book. Uh, the nice thing about this, it's got a line at the top that has a place for the date. I don't oh. know if you can see that. And then, then yeah. it's got lines for, you know, your journal. And at the bottom, of it, it's got a scripture verse on every page. So oh, I found excellent. this All right. uh, really quite helpful and uh, sturdy. And then my favorite app is Uversion. Okay, Uversion. Use it all the time. Love it. Oh, good. Yeah, that's a great one. All righty. Well, thank you for answering those. And Roger, thank you so much for being here today to share your personal experience with God's presence and for also just helping us to become more aware of the importance of seeking his presence in our everyday lives. We appreciate you so much. And I have my coffee with my Bible prayer in the morning, every morning. All right. Kathy Keurig with my, my Jehovah Java, my Bible, my journal, and my prayer. And I was up this morning at 530, and I spent the first hour and a half of my day in prayer and seeking the face and presence of God, Aww. reading through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. So, oh, that's so awesome. Ah, oh, you're amazing. Yeah. All right. And for our listeners, if you would like to dive deeper into this topic, please get a copy of Roger's book, Pursuing God's Presence. You can find the link to the book in our show notes. Lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help you guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We love you all. Have a blessed day.